Hi, I am Jules Hamilton, and this is Keeping It Good, the Good Summit podcast. Today on the podcast, I am delighted to be chatting with member of Doyle Erin for Dublin South, Ivana Bacic. Ivana is an incredible long-term advocate of everything that the Good Summit stands for. Equality, human rights, peace, justice. She has been a professor in the Law School of Trinity for over 25 years and during that time has also served as a senator in the Senate Chamber of the Irish Parliament. As you'll hear in this conversation, Ivana has always been fiercely dedicated to women's rights. And indeed, we actually originally planned to have this podcast out in honour of International Women's Day. But hey, things change and we are just delighted that you're able to join us as we bring this podcast to you now. Really interestingly, when we chatted a few weeks ago, there was no inkling that I would now be seeing in the news that Ivana is set to become the next leader of the Irish Labour Party. How exciting. And this was an enlivening conversation about how young people, and especially how young women, need to be more involved in social transformation and what they need to do to do away with boundaries that hold us back in making a positive difference to the world. It was amazing to chat with Ivana, who really is making a positive difference in the world. I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Ivana Bacic, it is an absolute delight to have you on the Good Summer podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Jules. Thank you for inviting me to do this. It's uh, I've, I've probably been wanting to have this conversation for a long time because I've, I've always known you around Trinity as one of the people who cares, one of the people who gets stuff done around Trinity. So to get the chance to actually, you know, sit and ask some questions is a it's a real pleasure. So thank you for it. Um, can I can I just begin and say, tell us your story? You know, who are you and what brought you to where you are now? Well, look, first of all, thank you for those lovely, kind words about being uh, somebody who gets things done and who cares. I really appreciate that. Uh, although the slogan, get things done, I think has been somewhat uh, taken over <laughs> or hijacked by a certain uh, prime minister of a neighbouring island. But anyway, um, who am I? Well, I'm um, I'm now, since July of last summer, or since July of 2021, I should say, I have been elected as the TD or Chef the Dollar Member of Parliament for Dublin Bay South, which is my home constituency. Uh, it covers... Dublin, South Inner City, right down as far as Terenure, Kimmage, Ringsend, Sandy Mount, up through Ballsbridge, Donnybrook, Ranelagh, Rathmines, and my own area of Portobello. So we, it's a big constituency, it's a diverse constituency, but it's wonderful to have been elected to represent uh, people here, and I'm really, really enjoying my work in the Dáil. Uh, but before that, of course, I was um, a senator for about for 14 years, in fact, since 2007, representing the graduates of Trinity College Dublin, where I also had the pleasure of teaching criminal law and criminology for many years and indeed where I was a student before that in the late 80s so um you know I grew up in Dublin but in fact we moved around quite a lot until I was 14 so uh, after that we've been in Dublin um and uh um I suppose I was when I was a student in Trinity um I was taken to court and threatened with prison along with my fellow student union officers for providing women with information on abortion this is women and girls in crisis pregnancy and that that I suppose was a pivotal time of my life and it certainly marked a political um 
I suppose, a political epiphany for me, just the experience of 21 of being, of taking all these phone calls um, from women who were desperate to get a phone number of a clinic in Britain where they could access abortions at a time when abortion was illegal in Ireland. And indeed, we in the students' movement were threatened, as I say, with prison for giving this, even just giving this information. So I've been involved in the pro-choice campaign, women's rights campaigns ever since, and was really glad to be involved in the repeal of the Eighth Amendment in 2018. So that's a potted political history. Wow. Take us take us back to being 21. Take take us back to the few years before that that made you care, you know, because you don't just decide to stand up for women's rights and uh and oh my goodness, threatened with prison and so forth. That that doesn't just happen. T- tell us take us back before that. How, what what made you you? Well, thank you. There's a, yes, there is a long history, and I suppose I was giving a very brief summary there. I mean the History is, you know, that, you know, when I was in school in the early 80s, in 1983, there was an amendment to uh, insert a protection for the right to life of the unborn into the Irish constitution and Mm -hmm. known as subsequently as the Eighth Amendment. And of course, that, as we know, passed. Um, but it had the effect of really devaluing the lives of women. And to me, you know, as a 14 year old in school, it was something that I became very aware of because my mother was and is a very strong feminist. And she had brought us up, myself, my sister and my two brothers, to be very much an equal opportunity household. Gender equality is the norm in our, in, I'm happy to say, in our family. And so mum was one of the few adults, I suppose, we knew in Cork at the time where we were living uh, to... Um, to uh, be opposed to the amendment, along with her friends, you know, but the, the bulk of people certainly uh, in Ireland obviously voted for the amendment, despite the fact that it was going to equate the life of the pregnant woman with that of the fetus of the unborn. So, uh, and, you know, there were many like Mary Robinson at the time who predicted this would lead to really tragic cases, as sadly it did to the X case, and, uh, among other tragic cases. So, you know, when I came to Trinity in the law school in the late 80s, then it was a I was studying law. I was really so privileged to be there at the time when, you know, Trinity was a bastion of liberalism and Mm. progressive values Mm -hmm. in an Ireland that was very, very conservative, very Catholic, very conservative. Her contraception was was criminalised, her homosexuality was criminalised, and certainly abortion was criminal. And I suppose, you know, through my... uh, and really because of my mum's influence, I became active in the feminist movement on campus, the women's group, which was very strong, and the students' union, which was also very strong. And then I joined the Labour Society and the Socialist Society. And again, it was all of a piece with being on the left, with, you know, wanting to stand for values of equality primarily, and just because of seeing what was happening with women and and indeed LGBT people in, in, in the wider Irish society. So it's really my mother's influence. It's a roundabout way of saying I owe it all to my mom, Jules. Yeah, no, no, but but what, you know, it's incredible that something so formative in Irish life and society happened in, at a time whenever your life was also completely formative and you were, you know, as a 14 year old, without being cliched, you're deciding who you want to be, you know, that kind of like 11, 12, 14, 15, 16. That's the first kind of stage. And ever we as individuals really, if we have the courage and if we have the right people around us, uh, get to kind of begin to decide what's really going on in the world and the part that we want to play in it. And so you had that that's quite a dramatic start 
for you. So you were <laughs> you, you were politicised by the time you you came to college. You mentioned the students' union. Did was that the first thing that you ran for office for, or was there some you know kind of year six class president that you that you won that vote whenever you were ten or anything? Oh, I, Jules, I don't think I'd have won any contest in school. I was very much a swatty, nerdy student in school. I read huge amounts. I remember, I do remember arguing in my, in the classroom in 83 against the amendment and, you know, being in a minority. But, but I suppose, you know, yeah, I, I was politicised by the time I came to college. It was largely through reading, through my mum's influence and through just observing the Eighth Amendment. And I remember in first year, and, you know, in those days, of course, those of a certain vintage like myself will recall that we all started college very young. I was only just turned 17 when I did my leaving and started. And there were still, there were students in law with me who were still only 16. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were all much younger starting college and um then then students of today are you know and I suppose but we were kind we were still you know politicized by what was going on around us I remember going to a very pivotal meeting in Liberty Hall actually at which Ruth Riddick spoke she was one of the women who'd been involved with open door counseling and again was had been taken to court for giving information on abortion and that was in my first or second year in college so I was involved in the women's group really because of the abortion contraception campaigns because of my mom's activism and um and then that led to the other you know i was i believed in the labor values looking at the parties the values of social democracy and of equality and i should say also that the law school in the 80s was as it remains a very political place we had mary robinson who i've already mentioned who of course was absolutely you know, um, centre stage in a national debate on liberalising laws, but also was our lecturer in European law. And Mary McAleese, who also went on to become president, lectured me in criminal and was my tutor. And then, of course, the wonderful late Kader Asmal, who went on to become Minister for Education in one of the ANC governments in South Africa. And he was an inspirational lecturer, as were so many others. And I might mention also William Duncan, you know, there were just, we were very, Jared Hogan, who's now a judge at the Supreme Court. So we were really lucky to have these lecturers who were very engaged in national public debates and in really making change nationally and I suppose they were they became really you know role models for many of us at the time including myself. Ivana we have done some a little bit of research on people who are listening to this podcast and connecting with the Good Summit and interestingly we are really in the kind of 18 to 35 year old females Uh, and you know last year for example in the Good Summit we had you know, it was the first year we had a, a bigger percentage of female speakers and presenters rather than male. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, maybe we, we knew who we wanted to connect with. So to, to get a kind of that young adult female moving into leadership, for that to be kind of the, the biggest percentage of our listeners is really interesting. What are your words to them? Is it is it is it easier? Is it harder now? I think that's a great question, Jules. And, uh, you know, in my by-election campaign last year, I was just so thrilled to have so many young women um, joining the campaign team, uh, getting involved. And, you know, I'm inspired by my own students in Trinity, you know, and we have more women than men studying law now for quite a number of years. But, you know, the students we have would be very, very politicised, very active, very... um, you know, really creative and imaginative and in politically engaged. And certainly repeal of the eighth wouldn't have come about, or indeed marriage equality before that, wouldn't have come about without this very politically engaged younger generation. And um, so it's brilliant to see that. So I think, I think first of all, 
clearly the context is much better nationally. And so, you know, because we are in a much more liberal society, much more diverse, you know, Ireland of the 80s was very monocultural, uh, very, as I said, very white, very Catholic, you know, very male dominated. You know, things have certainly changed. And, it, and you know, it's, it's somewhat, um, it's brilliant, but it's also rather surprising for somebody of my age, 53, to see Ireland being held up internationally as a beacon of, of progressive values, because for so long we were behind the rest of Europe on our laws on, as I say, on LGBT rights and on women's rights and on social and economic equality more generally too. So it's great to see that change having happened and that does make it easier for today's generation of young women. My own daughters are a teenage now. You know, on the other hand, there's still a great deal out there to challenge and, you know, brilliant Trinity students organising Reclaim the Night Marches. It's great to see that. But at the same time, you know, again, it's it's. I think it's sad to know that young women today are still uh, still have to do that and still have to take public stances against viol- gender based violence and violence against women. And we've seen, you know, the hideous murder of Ashley Murphy. We've seen just uh, you know a realization that you know violence, sexual harassment, everyday sexism. That phrase, you know, casual sexism and harassment of women. Uh, young women, but also older women, that this is still persistent in our society and pervasive, and we have to challenge that. So I think, and I think obviously, tox- the toxicity of some of the debate on social media, and particularly the misogyny of some of the debate on social media, is very troubling. And that's obviously a new phenomenon. We, I, you know, I used to get spat at on the street, and used to get hate mail delivered in the old-fashioned way by post. But now, I think on social media people feel they can be really horrible anonymous because it's anonymous. And so we have this phenomenon of trolling and that's very serious. What, what did hate mail come to you as? And I, You know, you, it's very easy to say, to, to look at that now, we can just look at your Twitter feed and see what you have to put up with. Um, but you know, whenever you got letters, who people took the time to do that, right? What were they complaining yeah. about? I still get the odd uh, hand, you know, handwritten or typed letter by post, but uh, it's it's rarer now. Yeah, I, I, you know, when I was president of the students' union, obviously people would write quite, and because we were, this was eighty nine, ninety, we were, we were the only organisation publicly giving information on abortion to women in crisis pregnancy. So we were a target of a huge amount of abuse um, by post. People would call into the office to abuse us, and uh, you know, I was physically threatened and so on. So you know, that that was a reality then. I'm glad to say. Those voices are very much in a small minority now, clearly. But, you know, but there's still, as I say, that kind of toxic aspect to some public debate that's really unfortunate. I, I hate, for example, seeing or hearing about um, the homes of public representatives or politicians being targeted. I feel like no matter what your political view, Shocking. people, nobody should pick at somebody's home, you know. And, you know, there's loads of ways legitimately and democratically to express opposition and disagreement with somebody because of their politics. Well, but to personally... Are we getting more divisive? Is is the world for politicians like yourself becoming more dangerous? Well, certainly, you know, there's a highlight now in security of public reps, of legislators and of Roctus members and council members. There is that focus now, I think, because, again, looking at what's happened elsewhere, we see the terrible murders of Joe Cox and David Ames over in Britain, you know, and that's really been quite shocking. And certainly the Gardaí are very conscious of um you know again a very small number of people who are who have uh, unfortunately taken quite nasty steps in, in targeting different politicians particularly those currently in government you know but um so i think there's an awareness about it but it was always there you know there was always this that strand of nastiness social media and online forums certainly give more space for it perhaps but you know we always have to remember this is a small minority you know and generally 
people are are great. And, you know, I'm out canvassing every week in Dublin Bay South. And, you know, you just meet such goodwill and such great engagement. You know, people who may or may, may not agree with everything I say, but there's great political engagement. I love that. And I think that's the level for most people that we're at. You know, it, it is one doesn't want to overemphasize the nastiness. This podcast is proudly supported by the amazing folks at Thought Collective, a team of designers and developers who create brands and digital products to captivate the crowd and communicate effectively. They make the Good Summit look great. Check them out at www.thoughtcollective.com. Can I ask you, you mentioned a report whenever uh, you, you chaired one of uh, one of our panels, you chaired two of our panels at this year's Good Summit, and it was great to have you with us. You mentioned a report uh, on things that hold back equality, and you had five Cs, and there was cash and culture, lack of access to childcare, there was confidence, and then there yes. was where, where you are bucking the trend. There's female candidates, I think, was the fifth one, if I, if I remember correctly can you talk us through them how can because this this sounds like this is real cultural shift to have more women in leadership uh, to, to move common good forward in, in a wider spectrum it seems that those things really are, are are vital can you take us through them yes thank you Jules and you, re- you remembered very well that I was it was a pleasure to be at the summit um with with you before and I did refer to the report it was a report I wrote for the justice committee the Oireachtas justice committee in 2009 and in fact it was unanimously accepted by the committee and went on we went on to change the law as a result it was a report on women's participation in politics and at the time uh, you know 2009 uh, not ancient history, there was huge concern about the low lo- low numbers of women in politics. I was first elected to the Shannon in 07, and I was very conscious how pale, male and stale both Dahl and Shannon were at the time. Uh, there was less than one in five TDs were women, for example. So, you know, I wrote this report for the Justice Committee, we... Um, uh, and we we looked at the evidence and we found there are five C's. We called it the five C's. It's entered the lexicon now, I suppose. The five C's that hold women back. Across, and four of them apply in every career or, or walk of life. Uh, so those, those are the first four you mentioned. Lack of access to childcare, lack of confidence and old boys culture and lack of cash. Women earning less than men, women, ten, women tending to have less confidence than men and old boys culture that persists across law, where, you know, which I'd be familiar with, but in academia and every sector. And then, of course, the child care issue, which is a huge, huge uh, obstacle for women's career progression generally. And because men don't take on their fair share, we shouldn't always be focusing on the women. It's, it's men who aren't taking on their fair share. So we recommended those four C's need to be tackled in a whole range of ways. But there's a fifth C in politics, which is candidate selection procedures Mm -hmm. and that is where we see political parties largely because of culture um, and because of just tradition and again the old boy network political parties were failing to select enough women to stand for election so our analysis showed that in previous elections there'd actually been many constituencies where there were simply no women candidates of any party so if a voter wanted to vote for a woman, they couldn't. So we was holding back voter choice and it was clearly holding back women. Parties were not selecting women. And, you know, every party, you know, let's put it this way, it took me a long time to get uh, selected as the t- candidate, Labour candidate for Dublin Bay South. You know, this was this is the reality across parties. So, um, and so, what happens uh, they do? You go and get elected, which is <laughs> fabulous. You well, see? <laughs> my favourite headline, Jules, was overnight success after 30 years. So that was it, <laughs> following my election last summer. 
I summed it up. But I suppose what our recommendations were, you know, that you need to, we needed to have mentoring networks. We needed to address the gender pay gap. We needed to put in place childcare and indeed paternity leave. Uh, but among the recommendations was a specific one to target that the political parties holding back of women. And this was a quota. And it was very controversial. We recommended it, but happily we managed to beat back the controversy, win the argument. And in 2012, a quota law was passed. And that requires political parties in Ireland to select at least 30% of their candidates of each gender. It's gender neutral, but effectively it means the, a party can uh, can select no more than 70% of their candidates who are male. That's really what it means. Yeah. And parties have had yeah. to comply with that or else they risk losing half their political funding. So it's a big stick. Oh, wow. The carrot, yeah. of course, is you, you have to bring forward women and that makes you better, more attractive to many voters and so on. And in fact, our, again, our research showed and the research by political experts, science experts, shows that women, when they stand for election, are as likely as men to be elected. Voters don't have bias. The bias is in within the party structures. And, you know, our, the, the gender quota came into effect for the first time in the 2016 general election. And there was a dramatic rise in the numbers of women elected from 16% of TDs up to 22%. Now, we stagnated. I'm only the 37th woman in out of 160 TDs. We're only at 23% currently in the doll. It's terrible. But the quota rises to 40% for the next general election. And I think, Jules, we're going to see a really significant breakthrough then. Parties will have to select four out of every 10 of their candidates will have to be women. And that's going to be a big ask for many of the, particularly the two big parties, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, that are um, and, you know, Sinn Féin have done better. New, newer parties, you know, with fewer incumbents have more opportunity, of course, not newer parties, but I mean, parties that are have newly become bigger are more easily able to do this. But it's a big challenge for established parties with many male incumbents. And that's the, the thing. So but we will see a big change. And I should add that the Shannad is 40 percent female currently, largely because the Taoiseach can nominate 11 members out of the 60. And so the Taoiseach chose to nominate more women than men and, and that and that obviously helps the balance in the Shannon. But it did also make a difference to the debating and the culture in the Shannon, in my experience, having moved between the two houses. The doll is much more shouty, much more male, of course, you know, it, it really is. I mean, that's it's a very, very uh very male. More than three quarters of TDs are men, you know, put it that way. There's a very small number of us women. And indeed isn't that dreadful? I know, actually, one of the interesting uh, statistics, disturbingly, is that I'm only the 131st woman ever elected to the Dáil in over 100 years. Wow. wow. Ever. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, you look at the data, there's only something like 20 cabinet ministers who've been women ever. The same women get reappointed to cabinet. So we might see women who've served a number of terms. But in fact, when you look at the actual women, it's a very small number. So, you know, how does that compare to other kind of institutionalism within Irish life? <laughs> I, I well, work with, I work with Catholic priests. So in the, that particular institution doesn't do particularly well with female employment at the highest level. <laughs> but what about what about other Irish institutions? OK, well, obviously, the Catholic Church is not a good example of uh, diversity <laughs> or inclusion for women. Um uh, in terms of other institutions, well, we're battling in a lot of fronts. Like, on, there's been a focus on board membership as well. And in fact, I'm now uh, delighted to be chairing the Gender Equality Committee in the Eruptus. And uh, one of the things we're going to look at is women in politics, but also women on boards. So yeah. we're just getting new data on that. But, you know, again, it's it's core. So and government departments. Yeah. Banking and education and health oh, you know, but, you know, in education, things. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's these four C's that hold women back across these different, uh, all of these different areas. You know, there's some 
you know, we did a report on women in law some years ago. I, I authored it with Catherine Costello and Eileen Drew, uh, actually for the Department of Justice. And, um, you know, again, we found this having children at the point where women were tending to have children in their 30s. That was when women's careers in law were being were then being impeded and slowing down compared to their male colleagues who'd started at the same time as them. So there's a lot of work needs to be done across the different sectors. You know, how will you compare with other countries? You know, again, if you look at other countries, we took the quota law from Belgium, actually, and Spain, both of which had started from a similar point to us in the 90s and had really um, increased their numbers of women in politics through quotas. So, you know, you look at what works elsewhere to, to, and really positive action measures is the answer. And actually, I was a strong supporter of Mary Mitchell O'Connor's uh, Women in STEM Subject Professorships, which, again, were controversial, women-only professorships. But she made the point, and she was right, that you have to take positive action to bring forward women in areas uh, uh, like STEM, like uh, science, technology, engineering and maths where there's just so few women coming through and so positive action is, is essential there so the the good summit is all about common good in the world where is there positive social transformation and you have been outlining some of the positive ways and and some of the trends in terms of female participation and uh, certainly in, in the political realm and you have uh, been a fantastic advocate in that and and uh, as as you say overnight success after 30 years absolutely <laughs> brilliant headline um what are the things that you're seeing that are giving you hope in that where where are some of those really positive transformative things that that get you excited about what's happening in Ireland or around Europe at the minute well, there's lots um, of, of, of good things happening. I think one can often dwell on the negative, but actually there is a lot of good thing, a lot of good change, positive change that's happening. And it's great to focus on that. And certainly in Ireland, our, the way in which our laws have changed, as I say, the fact that we have now become a, a really a beacon of hope that our laws are moving forward on women's rights and on LGBT rights in particular at a time when other countries, and you might think of the US, for example, you know, where there's been a sort of backward shift in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that backward, meaning backward into a sort of conservatism. Um, so I think that's very positive to see. And it's also positive to see, you know, the alliances across Europe um, with progressive movements, with uh, young, you know, young activism, youth activism—that's really great to see. Um, and uh, you know, what I suppose, what I, what I love seeing is, you know, the you know people coming together constructively to work on, on that shared values and common values. I think what's awful to see is where, for example, the forces of the left or of feminism or of uh, LGBT rights, where there's a sort of disunity or where there's a kind of a in, you know, too much in focus on infighting. I don't think that's helpful because I think, you know, in Ireland, perhaps more than anywhere, we recognise, you know, there is a, there is a, a side to take. And, you know, in the marriage equality referendum, you know, we all came together, women's rights, LGBT rights activists, as we did in on repeal. And that's what made that movement, those movements so powerful. And we also appealed, we made sure to appeal to everyone to make, to tell personal stories, to engage with people's genuine concerns and not, and, and always to conduct debate respectfully. So I think if you were to say, what's the big positive thing? I think it's this emphasis on respectful and courteous and civil debate is hugely important. And, you know, when I see my students engaging in this way, I just think that's a real sign of optimism. I love that. That that gets me excited, Ivana. It really does. Uh, especially when you look around the Western imagination and you see so much bitter division in political debate. And and uh, you know, you mentioned America. You could talk about the UK and Brexit, and you know, even the the stress on this island that 
has been brought around, uh, brought about through Brexit, and that the angst that has been created, uh, and so you know the that sense of where we have seen people come together, and that uh, you two brilliant things I love there. What you said, I loved you said respect, and I loved you said about people telling their stories, and people yeah. feel free to actually share who they are, share why they are, and that that whole sense of kind of sharing who we are, and indeed who we want to be. So, so maybe, maybe in kind of beginning to wrap up, Ivana, let, let's talk about you. What about the next 10 years in terms of who you want to be and, and what, what's coming next? What are you, you, you are now in the actual seat of government. You get to have real hands-on um, effect in, on the laws of the land. So you're in a real position to, to do some real good. And you wouldn't be the first person to kind of in that place say it, it it's harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> this isn't actually where the, the laws are made at all. But but you know, what do you want to achieve there? What do you want to see with it the next number of years? Well, um, thanks for that, Jules. Yeah, I'm under no illusions about how difficult it is to bring about change. And in fact, as a senator, I brought forward and saw enacted more private members' bills than any other senator. So, you know, I know it's, it's a long process. You have to be patient, but you have to be kind of persistent too, you know. And I pushed government at various stages to accept legislation and, to, and worked with them constructively to amend it and so on. And, you know, I'll continue to do that. And I have a few things in the pipeline that I'm working on currently, including reform of immigration laws to make our... Uh, laws more generous for children, particularly born here, to not the parents who are not Irish citizens, an easier pathway to citizenship for children, working with Minister McEntee on that. But I suppose my immediate focus is, um, uh, and I've got a gender pay gap law in, in as well, or coming in. So, you know, but my immediate focus now is the work on the Gender Equality Committee, because we've been tasked with looking at the 45 recommendations of the Citizens' Assembly, chaired by Catherine Day, which mm-hmm. itself reported last year, on, and it gave us a real blueprint on how you bring about a more equal Ireland for women and men. And we're now to report by the end of this year, 2022, um, on, you know, really instructions to government, how you implement these recommendations. And, you know, I'm really excited about chairing this committee. It's my first time as a committee chair. There is a, a certain, there's a lot of responsibility, but it's really exciting to look at, actually, this is how we can bring about change. That's my immediate focus. And of course, beyond that, winning back a seat in Dublin Bay <laughs> South at the next general yeah. election. All politics yeah. is local. So, you know, yeah. we have to be yeah. mindful of that yeah. too. Yeah. And so one final question. What keeps you going, Ivana? How do you keep doing all of this? You seem to have an incredible amount of energy and passion. How do you do it? Ah, well, Jules, thank you. Well, I suppose I enjoy it. You know, you couldn't do this. Nobody could be involved in politics if they don't ultimately enjoy it. I get a real buzz I get a real enjoyment my kids will give out to me for trying to sound trendy and cool a real buzz for, <laughs> from uh, from, uh, from being involved in politics and uh, from just trying to bring about change albeit at local level where we're trying to get more EV charging points and more cycling infrastructure in Portobello and Ranala that kind of thing but also at national level of trying to get laws passed on gender pay gap on better childcare supports and so on so these are the sort of things that keep me going is that feeling that you're actually in the process of bringing about change, you're being instrumental in bringing about change. I just got Trinity, for example, to um, adopt a new discounted membership rate for, for residents in the local community around the Pier Street area who want to join the gym. Simple, but, you know, and, and it was great that Trinity Sports Centre, Michelle Tanner and her colleagues just embraced that so quickly and we've done it now and it's a big, it's a big positive thing in the area. So I love being part of bringing about change, but also what keeps me going just good friend, friends, family, of course, and uh, and sea swimming, Jules. Unfortunately, I've taken up the pandemic hobby of sea swimming all year round, and that as well is great to give energy. 
I think you must be the 117th person to tell me yeah. about sea swimming. <laughs> and there's maybe a message in there for me somewhere. It's it's about time that I maybe jump in myself. Um, Ivana Bacic, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. And please, uh, the incredible good that you're doing in the centre of decision making, uh, please don't stop. I know that uh, a lot of us are behind you. And please keep inspiring the next generation of leaders. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jules. That was Keeping It Good with Ivana Bacic, brilliant professor, lawyer, member of parliament, and now leader of the Irish Labour Party. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation and have been inspired by it. This podcast was brought to you by the amazing team. Um, that is Andy Matthews, our incredible editor, and our incredible Stephanie Pepage, our marketing genius. I am Jules Hamilton, and I am inviting you to go into the world and keep it good. See you next time. <laughs>